Thank you all for joining me on today's episode. And before we begin with our interview with Doc Kane today, I wanted to take a few moments and just share some things about the show. If you're new to the show, you're coming in at a wonderful time. As I really feel a um, little more than a year into it now, that our show is really becoming just a great resource to anyone interested in Japan and the community that we are building through interviews and just my interactions with you mean the world. For those of you that have been returning again and again, I truly want to thank you and it means the world to me as I see, although it's not the reason I do the show, it is nice to see that our downloads are just increasing so much. When I look at a year ago when I was recording, I think I had my friends and family and a few other people that may have stumbled across the show. But from January on, it has really taken on its own you know, purpose and its own energy. And even within the two and a half months prior, we had the number of downloads we had from January to March uh, that were then to May. All of that time that's there and then just in the short time from May till the end of June had the same number of downloads just appear again and again and again in just an ever decreasing uh, amount of time. And I just want to take the time to say thank you. We are going to be doing a year episode that's also going to be an interview with a friend of mine that lives in Vancouver. And while uh, borders remain not completely open, as I would love uh, it to be for tourists to visit Japan and just kind of do what we'd like to do, as I have done in the past. If you live in Canada, he's going to give some great information to you to experience uh, Japan, uh, you know, a lot closer to home. And I look forward to sharing that. We have an interview coming forth with an artist from Tokyo who is kind enough to join the show. And we are also going to be interviewing an author that lives in Tokyo. And what she has done is just magnificent and kind of share one book in general that caught my attention and then a few others that she has written along with some new projects. And I'm probably going to have that interview be sometime in October, which means it could have a release in November. I have an episode coming that is on Gifu City, and I could not be more excited to share that with you as well. All in all, we have our day trips, we have our interviews, and we just will be offering so much more to you. And I look forward to just trying to make the show even better. Feel free to always reach out to the show at Lost Without Japan at our Instagram or Lost Without Japan at gmail.com. Always enjoy the communications that I have and the friends that I'm building through that. For today's episode, I just wanted to point out that much like my interview with Jeff, 
that this does have an explicit tag on it. It is not something that I'm looking to have be a common theme uh, for the show, but it really fit with what I was doing uh, with Doc. Uh, Doc sleeps less than I do, and I didn't think there were many people that did this. In fact, I kind of question if he sleeps at all. He has a translation business. He has a business where he's looking to help uh, teach Japanese to, you know, kind of like your intermediate to advanced learners in a very unique and exciting way. And he's going to have his hand in making a movie in Japan. Truly a wonderful person to talk to and so excited to share my interview with Doc with you today. And now. Let's get on to starting our show in that normal way. Thank you. Welcome to Lost Without Japan, a travel podcast about the life-changing experiences of exploring Japan and those moments we would be lost without. For your listening pleasure, allow me to introduce your very own Kanko Gaido, Michael. Welcome to a special Lost Without Moments bonus interview episode of the Lost Without Japan podcast. Our bi-weekly podcast is focused on getting you to Japan for your first visit or to make your next adventure to Japan an even better one than your last. Today's special interview episode is with the author, translator, and co-finder of Maple Lobo and Paul McCartney fan Doc Gain. During today's interview, we'll be covering an amazing language learning service, learn about how he escaped Chicago, Illinois, and made his way to Japan, leaving behind his career to live and start a new one uh, and start businesses and movie adventures as well, all in Japan. This is your Kanko Gaido for TKIC Studio Productions coming to you with hopes and dreams of return to travel for others in 2022 and for his son and himself in summer 2023. I'd like to thank you all for giving me a bit of your time today, and I truly hope this podcast finds you in a good place or on the path to a better one, no matter how it may seem at this moment. My belief is we could all use a beacon like this one in our lives to help guide us during these times, and my hope is that Japan along with this show, will become that for you. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're returning Lost Without Listener, thank you again for your time and returning once again. For today's show, let me introduce Doc Kane, a special guest from Kobe, Japan, and the co-finder of Maple Lopo and founder of Marianne Productions. I must say, I'm truly thankful for you setting time aside to join me today for this interview, Doc. Hey, Michael, no sweat. My absolute pleasure to be here and to connect with someone in Chicago again, since that's my uh, second hometown. Well, Doc, I have some hard hitting Chicago questions later, so <laughs> just, you know, be prepared. I've, I've added some things, you know, after you looked at it. So, yes. you know, might as well. Okay. Might as well. <laughs> All about hot dogs and other good greasy food, probably pizza. You, you better believe it, Doc. You better believe it. <laughs> so, okay, Doc, you know, I. I don't want to spoil our interview at the start today, mm. but I must say you're making my plan of moving to Japan later in my life 
seem all that more doable. Like, I, I do feel your story can be an inspiration to others, regardless of your age. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's easy to let life seem like you're on a set path, uh, you know, carved into stone. And, you know, even if it takes Paul McCartney to help you realize that change is indeed very much possible, uh, you know, like it really is something that after kind of like hearing some other interviews and things that you were on, um, I loved it. I loved it, Doc. Thanks, man. And I. You know, I, I truly feel fortunate that you have a good taste in music, number one, um, yeah. you know, but also, you know, also, Doc, uh, just joining us here today and to share, you know, about you, um, your wife and, you know, what you all have to offer listeners of Lost Without Japan. Um, so truly uh, welcome, Doc. Um, what, uh, you know, starting off here, I'd like to say that the, this this section right here is really just like whatever you'd like to share with listeners. Yeah. Um, and before before we get going with that, though, I always doc uh, hate when it's like the end of an interview mm-hmm. and you're you're kind of just beginning to share like social or websites and things like that. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I like to get it out of the way now. And once again, at that time. Could you go ahead and share uh, where listeners have lost without Japan? I mean, Doc, I, I <laughs> this is funny, but, you know, I thought myself as a full time teacher, a part time uh, worker at night, a dad, a podcaster was busy. And then, you know, I hear more about your life and realize, you know, I have more room in my day. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but, surprisingly, where, we all do. Where, but, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you know, it's like, where could uh, listeners look out to? you know, reach out and talk to you about either be it uh, these language, uh, you know, things that you have to offer, the movie, life in general, um, would be a good way to get about getting a hold of you. Sure. Um, yeah, probably. I, actually, probably the simplest way to get a hold of me is to hunt me down on LinkedIn. And um, so my name is Doc, like the doctor and Kane, like citizen. So uh, if you're looking for me, anywhere uh online i'll come up pretty easily ironically there's another film guy who's been uh in the film world forever and he's the what i who i call the famous doc kane if you type my name in he might come up too he works for disney and uh often people will uh email me every few years hey did i i just saw this disney movie and i saw your name at the end of the credits did you work on that movie i'm like no that's the famous doc kane but Uh, I wish I'd love to meet the guy someday. It would be super cool. But if you type my name into uh, Google uh, and maybe with LinkedIn or just go directly to LinkedIn, you'll find me. I'm very easy to find and connect with me there and reach out. Uh, additionally, you can find um, this effort that my wife and I run here in Japan, which is called Mapelopo. It's M-A-P-L-O-P-O dot com. And we do... Um, Translation. So we translate Japanese literature into English. And this year we started a Japanese learning program using stories. So using the stories that we translate, we teach intermediate to advanced learners of Japanese um, using those um, books or short stories as our kind of main tool. And that's um, you can find it there on mapelopo.com or you can type in mapelopo schoolhouse and it will redirect to the correct page for, for that as well. Um, those are probably the best places to find me and, and chat me up if, if somebody wanted to say hello at this point in time. 
Sounds good, Doc. And I promise I'm going to get the Maple Lobo, uh, you know, correct for the rest of the interview. <laughs> we, we actually just changed the logo because we realized that that's an issue. So normally people aren't giving us, aren't talking about our company uh, name first. We will tell people if we're in conversation, oh, the name of our company is Maple Lobo. And so they hear it and repeat it back to us. But lately, uh, we've had a few people bring it up first, as you did just a few moments ago. And we started to hear like, oh, hell, people are saying Mapalopo. That's that's not good. So we changed the logo and put like this little maple leaf as a macaron almost above the A. So hopefully uh, people kind of get the idea. It doesn't matter, really. But uh, as long as they know how to type it into Google, we're OK. <laughs> Don't sweat it. That, that's really that's really that's at the end of the day. I, you know, I like it. I like it. And. I, I like to start my interviews off, uh, Doc, with just letting you have a chance to kind of share um, about yourself. Yeah. And really, my friend, I know that you said anything and everything is um, good, but mm. just kind of just a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of where you're from, your family. Sure. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll kind of head on from there. Uh, sure. Yeah. So. Um, so I grew up in Jersey in America, um, kind of a semi rural area of New Jersey called Phillipsburg. And I lived there until I went to college. I went to college in Illinois at Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. And um, I took forever to finish. And when I finished, I uh, moved up to Minnesota for a while and then over to Chicago. And I pretty much hung out in the Midwest ever since leaving New Jersey. So that's why I don't have this kind of Jersey accent that the rest of my family has. Um, I love the Midwest. I really love Chicago. I had a buddy who was a chamber of commerce president of uh, in Lincoln square and convinced me to move there from Minnesota. And I was so happy that I did. And I, I stayed in Chicago for, for years. And I went back to New Jersey for a little while during the, um, during the recession of, uh, whatever the hell that was, 2008, 2010, when yes. things kind of <clears throat> went all upside down. And I lived at home for a while as a 40 year old, which totally sucked. I worked for Amazon and killed myself on, on night shift. And, um, it was a good uh, readjustment period for me in a way. Um, and then I, um, after my, so, uh, we can talk about Amazon later or whatever, but I, I worked my way up from, I was just a, a muckety muck in the warehouse at Amazon. Like a lot of other people, I met a guy there who was a wall street broker or something like that. He was making 250 grand a year. And then he was making 11, $12 an hour. Like I was as a warehouse guy. Um, it was just a horrible time, but eventually I made my way up and became a manager. But then the way Amazon works is they have these peak seasons and they basically let everybody go. So, I worked there for maybe a year and a half, I think, um, altogether from warehouse person to manager and then was let go. And then just coincidentally, I was like posting about beer and shit like that and uh, on Facebook and an old buddy of mine who had founded a company in Chicago said, Hey, are you, uh, are you doing anything these days other than drinking beer and writing about it on Facebook? And, uh, <laughs> we kind of need a writer. So uh, I started working for him and, um, I worked for a few months, uh, remotely. And then he said, you know, we'd really rather have you out here. <clears throat> and then another former boss of mine called me like the same week and said, Hey, we want you to come out here as well and, uh, handle some marketing for us. So it was really bizarre. I mean, like within 
this literally span of a week, I had these two people offering me consulting positions to come back to Chicago. And that's what I did. So I, I had to go lease a car and all this other crap. And then my life just boom, whisked me away to Chicago. And I spent another five years in Chicago before then transitioning here to Japan. It's fateful Paul McCartney concert that you, you mentioned earlier. <laughs> that's my well, life. You know, an important. Three minutes. <laughs> I like that. It was a good, you know, good version, uh, you know, of things, Doc. And <laughs> one important thing before we get, you know, too far uh, moved on is mm. do you have a preference uh, between Luminati's or uh, Rosati's when it comes to the deep dish uh, pizza for Chicago? Uh, that's so funny. Um, so I really love uh, Lou Malnati's. It's it's too damn expensive. Um but Rosati's, so it's been a few years since I've been in Chicago, but I'm pretty sure like Rosati's is, they have a cup. Did, did you read about me mentioning Rosati's somewhere? No, actually, um, I just was like, I have another person, even though I know it was Jersey, Chicago and kind of the Midwest and things. But I'm like, how can I interview someone from Chicago? Mm. And not ask about deep dish pizza. pizza. I, I mean, I'd be kicked out. I'd be kicked out of the the whole podcasting <laughs> world if I didn't do yeah, that. Yeah, no kidding, right? Um, my first introduction to Chicago pizza was in college. A buddy of mine who lived in Naperville took me to Gino's East, which was fantastic. Um, Gino's East is kind of more yeasty. Uh, I like it. But uh, Rosati's, I think, is not necessarily very deep dish, right? Or is it? Right. Okay. It's not. It, it's not as much, yes. So I think if... Ro- if Rosati's is this place that also has a location somewhere up around Bannockburn, which is where my company was that I worked for called Revenue Well, which is awesome, by the way. If you want to work for a great company, Chicago people, um, work, uh, try and uh, hunt down the people at Revenue Well. They're fantastic and uh, you will love working there. But anyway, if Rosati's is out there, my memory fades me. Uh, I ordered from them all the time and I used to have these deals where you could get like a second pizza for like half price or whatever. And so I would live on pizza for uh, literally like a week or so and, uh, and chicken wings, I, I think. And uh, I got pretty fat. It was fun. <laughs> you know, Doc, like I, it's a good thing you moved to Japan, you yeah. know, just for quality of life things right here. As <laughs> If you'd stayed in the Midwest, dude, you know, who knows? Yeah. You ain't no kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, that's for sure. I lost a lot of weight here just walking around where I live. I live on a mountain. So I literally am 15 minute walk up and down from the train station. I lost a lot of weight. People are like, are you okay? Like, yeah. I'm just walking everywhere. And it's no pizza. Really. That's great that it, here. So I avoid it. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of the things I miss the most. Like I love uh, visiting uh, Japan and I, I like it's having been so long. 2019 was my last trip. Oh. And I, I can't wait for it to be back open. I would have been back in 2020, 2021. You know, I no wouldn't be back every summer if I could. Wow. And I've, I have friends that I've made um, in Osaka. I've made have friends that I've made in Hiroshima and it's like, they're looking forward to meeting my son mm-hmm. and it, he, we, he was going to be coming as a 19 year old and mm-hmm. man, I, he's turning 21 soon, uh, doc. So I'm hoping uh, next summer is finally where they're going to open things up for uh, Japan completely yeah. uh, so that we can get there, you know, share, so, share a, a, Beer or something. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Kobe is very close to Osaka. So, uh, yeah, go for it. Bring your son. He's he's old enough to drink here in both countries. So no problem. <laughs> uh, I, I look forward. And Doc, I 
when I was looking at different things, um, I I saw that you, you know, have traveled to more than just uh, Japan for <laughs> where yeah. else can you tell us as far as other countries and things that you've uh, visited? Sure. Um, so, you know, like most Americans who've traveled a bit, I've been to Canada and Mexico, um, but I, some of the more adventurous paths I've taken have been to um, Ireland. Uh, just, out, uh, just out of college, I spent two months in Ireland and I worked there in a McDonald's, actually. Um, that was a super wonderful experience. I've been to China. I spent uh, three weeks in China and three weeks in Hungary. Um, I spent three weeks in uh, Seoul, South Korea in 2017 when I had to uh, uh, exit Japan for a little while. So when you first come to Japan as a tourist, you're allowed to spend, I think, uh, three or four months here. But then you have to leave. You can't just, uh, you can't hang out forever as an American citizen. So you have to disappear. And what a lot of people do is they will leave for a weekend or something like that. But the Japanese uh, customs folks, immigration folks, whatever they call themselves, don't really appreciate that so much. <laughs> they think you're just screwing with the system. So I did the right thing and I, I went away for three weeks um, and it was great. South Korea is cold as hell in December when I was there. But I stayed in the hospital and it cost me, I think, 15 U.S. bucks a night. It was so cheap, and I was right in the middle of this cool um, college town. It was fantastic. Uh, I think those are the most of the places I've been to. Uh, I'd love to get to Vietnam. I've been wanting to go there forever, and I, I teach um, during the school year here at a, um, a semongako, which is basically a vocational school, and we, it's a hotel program. And I have I've met many students from Vietnam, so I have, uh, you know, open invitations to go to Vietnam. I've written uh, mm, uh, a decent portion of a screenplay about a, uh, a story that takes place in Hue uh, during the Vietnam War. And um, it's one of the main places I want to go when I go there. My uncle was in the war and didn't come back home. So I've been uh, fascinated with Vietnam and Asia probably since I was a boy, largely because of that reason, I would imagine. Uh, but yeah, that's some of my travel escapades. <laughs> uh, it, it is. It's good to see, uh, you know, that travel bug is more, uh, you know, than just Japan or getting you there. And it's nice to have that. I mean, I, I feel like we could talk about uh, the McDonald's uh, experience, too, for another hour. Uh, just <laughs> yeah. just a, just alone of what that was like. But, you work there, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's my my uh, sister did. Uh, I had, uh, if you remember uh, from when you're out here, Best Buy sure. uh, was my uh, retail experience uh -huh. into things along with the daycare work and stuff like that. But uh -huh. um, my sister went through like the Olympics uh, with McDonald's really? and uh, was able to actually go to Salt Lake City. Oh, wow. Uh, and serve, you know, Olympians. I mean, so just to, the coolest thing. She loved her time there. Oh, sure. Uh, very much so. But, uh, you know, I. I was also like one of the places that I've not gone to yet, Doc, uh, because every time I've gone back, I seem to bring people back with me. And <laughs> okay. you, you, you go to Japan and if you're going to show someone Japan, you're going to end up in Tokyo. Yeah. You're going to end up in Kyoto. Mm. You're going to end up in Osaka. And like I said, I have uh -huh. friends that are in Hiroshima, uh -huh. but Ko Kobe. Yeah is like on my top of list of things that I need to do mm. <laughs> when I get there again. Mm. Um, and 
would you mind just sharing just that? I mean, we can go into this more later. Just some of the things that you love uh, about uh, being in Kobe. Mm. Yeah. So um, I think the, the biggest thing about Kobe for me is uh, how beautiful it is. So Kobe is nestled between the mountains and the sea. We have um, what's known as an inland sea here in, in Kobe. It's called the Seto Island Sea. And uh, it's just so beautiful. It reminds me, this area reminds me of a mix between Seattle and Chicago. Uh, because of the lake, it has this just wonderful calmness to it. And uh, you know, this region of Japan, this Kansai region, it's Osaka and, and, and Kobe and a bunch of other uh, surrounding areas, is kind of known for people who are chill right so um it feels very very homey and that's my favorite aspect of being here it's immediately recognizable even if you spend um a couple days in tokyo and then you come down here you'll feel it in the grocery store how people are different um so that's really great um you know like any city in uh japan uh places to eat are numerous and um we love going out to uh, izakaya here uh, my wife's uh, brother actually owns an izakaya in Kyoto. And um, so food is kind of a big thing for Japanese people. Food and drinking <laughs> um, are very, very good companions. And we're happy to indulge in both. I think this is one of the things like I mentioned losing weight and walking here. You know, I think if, if Japanese people or people who live in Japan uh, did not have to move so much, we would have um, similar weight problems that other people do, too. It's just that we're walking everywhere. Uh, we're certainly not cutting back on on drinking and eating, although the food that we eat is less calorie dense, perhaps, unless you're living on ramen and uh, less sugar and junk like that. Um, but yeah, those things, I think food, culture. Uh, Kobe is really big with fashion. I've always been a big fashion person. And despite the fact that I don't really dress up myself, you see me in black t-shirt and jeans more than anything. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't even own, I own no different colored t-shirts unless they were given to me as a gift or I was forced to buy it for some reason. And you'll see me often wearing this like flannel shirt all winter long, like nice wool rich. You should get money from Woolrich for this announcement. Uh, <laughs> nice Woolrich shirt that I probably spend a, a buck twenty for, meaning a hundred and twenty bucks. Um, and the damn thing has lasted me so long. The, the elbows have finally started to wear through, and I'm going to have my mother-in-law put beautiful patches on there for me. But man, that thing is wonderful. It keeps me warm, and uh, because it's wool, it's like I don't have to wash it that often. I don't know if you've experienced with like you have, right? Yeah. It's, it's yes, incredible. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> I was before I started to really focus on transitioning away from Chicago and living abroad. I started reading about like, how can I pack light? And I had already kind of transitioned my life in the sense that I got rid of my car, my apartment. I was living in Airbnbs and hotels in Chicago for a year. And uh, I was like really researching and geeking out on Merino wool and like, discovering like like wow this stuff is like i can wear the same shirt for a week <laughs> and, and socks even and i would read about like athletes who would be climbing mountains and like i can't believe i can climb this mountain with this merino gear and uh, doesn't smell at all and 
and it is true. So if you want to buy, you know, Woolrich or Columbia or any of this sort of gear, again, hit these people up for placement ads. Uh, you will not be disappointed. And that stuff is what made me survive and transition away from Chicago. Actually, surprisingly, lightening up everything that I had was largely a part or driven by focus and um, having the right things in my life and getting rid of everything else that I didn't need. Um, that's the only way I was able to transition at the age of uh, however old I was, 47, I think, and and come to Japan. Oh, Doc, you, you did it right. And I, I've already begun to place it out with my kids. My mm. my son's already call, called dibs on my uh, record player <laughs> and uh, amp and Bose speaker and, ah. you know, things like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm going to be I'll be good. I'll be good when I get to that time. I think, too, it's it's amazing once you start kind of planning things out to where I'm uh, kind of the same way where I've just started getting rid of things already. And like I told you, I'm still a, a ways away from <laughs> uh, getting there. But yep. if if I can have less to begin with, uh, just makes that next step, you know, even uh, better when it finally is able to happen. Yeah. And it provides you, know, you I, Michael, it provides you with this opportunity to be totally free in your decision making because you literally don't have anything else to keep you behind. Right. And so, yes, you realize like when we think about wanting to live abroad or work abroad or do anything that's like so, um, so much of a leap in a way there's always something that will pull us back well but i have a car payment or well but i have um, kids is a real issue that i had a, uh, the luxury of not being married at the time and not having kids that's a true obstacle right but all these other things are i think are kind of surface level obstacles that we can actually reduce and minimize so that when we have an opportunity we can leap and um that's what enabled it to be real for me. I just slowly cut away things, you know, and it became so easy. The only person, the only voices that were holding me back from, and not even holding me back, but the only voices I heard that were uh, suggesting that I not take the leap were in my own family. And that sort of idea is legend, right? Parents will always, yes. what the hell are you thinking? You're old. Why are you going to go to, why you don't speak the language? What are you crazy? There's no good pizza yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I said, okay. like what about the mexican food what about the mexican, mexican food? food that's gonna be <laughs> i wrote that in my thing right about chicago and great mexican there's no mexican food here in Japan uh, that i've experienced and that's so weird actually there are things that you just can't get here like just getting a good sandwich is it you gotta learn how to make your own bread and make i make my own deep dish pizza here in japan on the stovetop because I don't have an oven. See, all like all you have, all I have, and all most people have, fish grill. So you can't make it. You can't <laughs> buy it. So shit, make it. <laughs> that's that's a hundred percent. I you know it's it's crazy. Um, like all those different things you can do, and I'm I'm fortunate in the the standpoint that my uh, parents, me being the single dad that I am. Mm are all like, uh, hey, you should go out sooner. And I'm like, I would love oh, to, but uh, that retirement, uh, you're, uh, you, you know, when you're penalized uh, 6% of your retirement a year when you leave early, mm. that does, <laughs> that does, you know, cut down things a bit. But I have both of their blessings on that. And my kids too, uh, my son and my daughter, um, both know that that's where I'm going. And who knows, I might have some, uh, you know, one of them or whatever that follow along or mm. know that if nothing else, my my dad and mom, Doc, are uh, in Arizona. Huh. And 
every summer they come back basically for June and July or July and August. And if I'm working over there, I just look to do the same thing. And uh, so if I keep my place in uh, Chicago, uh, as I could possibly do, as my dad brought up as just a possibility, I'd have a place to come back to to visit uh, them and see the area, see my friends and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it'd be great. I could do the same thing that they do. Uh, see Sam, you know, see Addison, you know, have those couple of times, you know, together and then uh, have a different time of the year where they come out and uh, visit myself. So yeah. I, I, you know, I, I love it. I absolutely do. And I can't wait because uh, Addison, I'm going to bring to Japan as well, just like I'm looking to do a Sam. And if I was going to share anything that meant the most to me, it's going to be this country. Mm. And I could tell you about, you know, what first kind of attracted me to Japan, Doc, yeah. but it's not my interview. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, what Sorry. was it like, 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 like what was for you um, that kind of first brought Japan to your attention? Um, hmm. uh, I think if we're talking about like first time, it's it's uh, Shogun, the TV series, and um, yes. So people my age would remember it. And you're how old are you, by the way? I see you nodding your head. I'm f yeah, forty four, Doc. Don't, so forty four. So, I don't I, wait too fucking long to come here, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> Doc. I, I I could not uh, you know feel you more uh, from that point. I, I I'm. Probably uh, way before I'm able to move, um, I'm going to get myself in a situation where it's just my summers are going to be spent there. Mm. So at least I can have, really, uh, yeah. you know, two months, you know, two months out of the year where I can continue to connect with my friends and, you know, other people that I'm meeting through this show. But yeah. man, if I could, um, I'd load uh, all three of us up and uh, be off in, in your direction before I could think about it. So, yeah. well, um, before the, you know, you know, before we're done here, I want to read if you if you have the time and it's worth chatting about, uh, I'll ask you about this whole six percent thing. And uh, I may drop an idea in your head. So let's remember to come back to that um, before we leave. Sounds good. Um, it might be useful to know for you. So uh, what the hell were you asking me? Oh, you're Japan. So, uh, yeah. So Shogun probably. Um, was the first, without a doubt, was the first experience for me. And then, um, as I think Japan is just kind of a latent memory for me. Uh, but then, uh, you know, newsworthy items start to bring it to attention, right? Like, so the, um, the Hanshin earthquake in 1995, I remember very, very vividly, um, working, uh, I, I was, I had a part-time job and I was working and I remember seeing scenes of the, um, the road being, tipped over the elevated highway rather being tipped over on this huge screen television and um you know tsunami and things like that and that ironically that punching earthquake uh is where when i came to japan i first uh came to tokyo and then took um uh, took the uh the uh the shinkansen down Shin yeah, yeah down to um Kobe and Osaka and I stayed here for a language uh, learning course at Cambridge University course and stayed here for a month and I had always planned on going back to Tokyo um, but when I stayed here I lived in this little town here called Shinagata and um, I totally fell in love with the area and the people who befriended me and I uh, was so indebted to them for taking care of me and love this little town it's very close to where I live now but Shinagata was basically the, the hardest hit area by the earthquake and so I had no idea when I came here, but 
that whole highway that was tipped over was right around that area. And the people that I uh, became friends with were children when it happened. And, you know, they told me stories of like walking out on, in the middle of the night because the earthquake occurred at, um, I think, uh, 545 in the morning or something like that. And um, walking out and just seeing fire everywhere, you know. So it was weird that I was transported to this place that I remembered so well. And I was literally in the area where it was very, very, very bad. And uh, I didn't even know it. It was, it was an interesting experience. Um, when I really started to think about coming to Japan, though, it was probably um, in 2005 or so. I had a a long vacation and I traveled here and spent, um, I think, two weeks in Japan and totally fell in love with it. It was just so beautiful and gorgeous. And um, I was like, this place is amazing and, and I want to come back. And um, I did get a chance to come back in 2017, which you alluded to at the top of the podcast, to see Paul McCartney. So... Uh, one night I was, uh, so at the time in Chicago, I had already gotten rid of my apartment in Evanston and my car. And I was living in the, um, in the extended stay Hilton in Bannockburn, which is right down the street from where I worked at Revenue Well. And I was just screwing around, uh, one night and probably listening to music on my computer and Spotify and listening to Paul McCartney. And I thought, you know, Paul McCartney, I wonder if he's on tour anywhere right now. And, Sure as shit, he was going to be in uh, in Tokyo, and I was like, maybe I should see Paul McCartney in Tokyo. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> wouldn't because the idea? So I'm a music guy. I went to school for music. I worked in the music industry for a long time, and music moves me like nothing else. I mean, m- movies move me tremendously, but but I can't exist in a world without music. And I'm a I'm a baby with a good song and. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I've been known to cry way more times than I w- would like to admit as a, as a person <laughs> to a good song. Uh, so music moves me and yeah. I'd always dreamed of seeing, uh, or I'd always rather, um, seen these films of the Beatles playing in Japan and thought like how incredible it was to connect with a population of people that really don't know what you're saying and strictly emotional response to music how much more powerful could that be and so seeing this um this tour date that he was going to be in tokyo and having this large bank of airline miles that i had accumulated because i got rid of my apartment and was staying in hotels and racking up points like crazy um and airline trips that I had taken back and forth to New Jersey over the years and things like that. I said, you know what the hell? Let's see. Let's um, use these miles. They're just sitting there and go and see Paul McCartney. And so that's what I did. And I, 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 I kind of snuck my way away from the office. I padded a bunch of uh, uh, permissible remote uh, working uh, days and I padded them with a little vacation. And I was basically away for two weeks in Tokyo, again, living in a hostel. And it was so wonderful. And I had this experience on the train where I got up. Uh, I've mentioned this story before. You probably heard it if yes. you heard my interview. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, I had this experience on the train where I yielded my seat to an older couple 
as a good Catholic schoolboy in me has been taught to do by my parents <laughs> and nuns. <laughs> and yeah. I do it without thinking. And a lot of people still do that here, um, obviously. Although phones seem to distract a number of uh, the youth here from seeing older people get on the train sometimes. But I got up and uh, they were very appreciative of it. And um, I was on the train for another few stops and then it was my turn to get off. And then both of them um, intentionally caught my gaze to thank me again. And I just thought, uh, I like, wow, like uh, I was so uh, moved again uh, by this experience and thought like, uh, I want to be in a place where that sort of a gesture is a common gesture. And it is absolutely a common gesture. People do do that. They look for you to leave and they thank you again. Uh, it's wonderful. And I, I said, uh, I want to be here. And I messaged my mom sometime shortly after that. I think I was still in Japan when I sent her the message. And I said something like, you know, uh, what would you think if I, I said I wanted to move to Japan? <laughs> and she said, ah, I had a feeling you were going to send me a message like this, you know? <laughs> Moms know you, you know? <laughs> they do know us, yeah. So, um, I think I I gave notice shortly after that. And I can't remember now if I was here a month or two months after that. I think a month and a half after that, I was here. And uh, that was it. So I resigned my job. My boss was... Um, happy for me but quite disappointed and um uh we still have uh oh, Chad, i was literally just emailing them this week about this movie stuff but uh it was um it was the right time to make the move and uh because i had done everything that i said before i literally was carrying around my life in a bag and um it was possible i was able to think hey is this a choice that i want to make yes it is um let's do it <laughs> and i just did it I'm glad I did. I I, I like it, Doc. I and I and I like what you're saying with that as far as like uh, leaving it. And I got to tell you, uh, you we have had similar um, experiences when it comes to that. And Japan is a country like that makes you fall in love with it like again and again um, on, on every visit. And one of the things that stands out to me, I was having a conversation today was that you know, in Japan, if you tell someone that you're in education or that you're a teacher, uh-huh. um, that comes with a high, you know, amount of like respect. And when someone says yeah. like, man, that's amazing. I love that. It's not just lip service. <laughs> like it, it's truly, you know, a, a heartfelt uh, statement. And the friends that I have made uh, in Japan um, are those that shared in that. And just like really uh, those relationships are the ones that mean the most to me um, on top of like my friends that I hold closest. And Mm. I could not agree more. I mean, I I really do. It's just uh, those little things uh, seem to happen, uh, you know, more than they don't. They do. Um, People are, you know, as I mean, people are people. Right. And so there are um, there are not nice people here in Japan and there are nice people in Japan. Um, but I think by and large, we're dealing with a community of people that are respectful and, um, and it's not some bullshit fakeness. Like I remember people, yes, people, uh, some people can say, Oh, well, uh, Japanese people are just being polite. They're not really nice. Uh, that that's false. That's not true at all. Yes. Um, and it is a wonderful thing. And, um, 
yeah, you're going to encounter people who aren't friendly. Um, it, you know, oddball people are everywhere as well. Um, but it's a cool place to be. You're right about being an educator here. It's, um, it is respected, particularly, uh, when you introduce yourself as, as such with, uh, someone, uh, closer in age to you or older. Um, I can say that, uh, not every, uh, younger person cares. I have plenty of students who would prefer to sleep in class or talk to their friends or do their yes, hair. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the respect is not often, uh, is not often granted while you're teaching. <laughs> However, the title is uh, honored to a degree. Yes. So you, you mentioned this a couple times like people that you've met, uh, who, uh, who live here, I guess, and who are teachers, these people you have met, uh, in your travels or through the podcast or how do you come to meet these people? So, uh, a couple of them are uh, from another podcast. There's a podcast called the uh, PN 2.0 oh, and, mm-hmm. uh, they are both involved with, um, education as well. And they're part of international schools yeah. and, um, they have, you know, talk to me kind of same thing, doc of like, Hey, when you're uh, ready to come over, uh, let me know, you know, cool. but they have, they have a bunch of places in Osaka to show me. Um, I had a wonderful experience, um, in Hiroshima. Mm. Um, I w- went to Japan. My first time was in 2004 and I went with the oh, wow. Japan Fulbright Memorial fund yeah. and they picked like two, two teachers from Illinois, two teachers from every state. And I got to stay in Japan for a month, oh, wow. uh, all expenses paid. Wow. And it was wonderful. Like it was truly wonderful. Um, When I was there, we got to have a bunch of different people come talk to us. We had theater performances. We had singers. We had, Hmm. you know, government people. Um, But one of the highlights of my trip was um, I got to hear a Hiroshima survivor talk Hmm. about his experiences for his family, himself. Hmm. And that message that he gave of just like, hey, if you ever come back. Um, you know, please visit the Peace Museum. And, you know, it was one of those things that it took me a while to get back. Uh, I had a, um, you know, young son at the time, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, my life was different. Um, but sure. when I did make it back in 2017, the first thing I did uh, was to make it out and visit the museum. Mm. And I, you know, that you don't realize how much of an impact mm. that can have, mm. you know, on you when you visit my dad, he'd worked for Bridgestone uh-huh. and he wow. traveled back and forth from Japan. He went to the Hiroshima museum and he told me how he was only able to be in it for a short period of time. Yeah. And Dramatic. I went there, you know, it's like, I went there and I'm like, okay, well, you know, uh, you know, I listened to him, but man, going through mm. it, it really hit me much the same. And I left kind of like in a daze mm-hmm. and I walked away from um, there and ended up stumbling into a place. Uh, Good time. Funari is uh, the establishment that one of my fr- my friends work with. That's that's there. And he you said it earlier, I think. I don't know if it was on the podcast or when we're talking, but hot dogs, mm-hmm. right? Chicago. Yeah. I'm, you know, kind of I, I just want a beer. <laughs> and I saw this place had beer and hot dog. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, man. I'm halfway around the world. This is yeah. like too good to pass sure. up. But I, I ended up going in. Um, he wasn't even open yet. Doc. Ah. <laughs> uh, he wasn't really open. He was there being interviewed because his place is going to open and me being oblivious because again Hayes just coming out of this stuff came in he served me talked to me 
you know, went back and forth between this interview and I messaged him after the fact. And I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. And he's like, no, no, I remember you spicy dog, man. And I was like, yep, I'm the spicy hot dog. <laughs> you know, but okay. we, um, we every time I go back now, the group of people that we get together and he introduces me to just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And we just have more and more fun each time we go. And I'm still in contact with him on like a, uh, you know, monthly basis. So yeah. he's just looking forward to meet, meeting my son. So, you know, I, I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> this is a, J- a Japanese gentleman or an American. Yes, a Japanese gentleman that was there. And um, he introduced me to one of his friends on my last visit. I went there in 2019 before um, things shut down. And um, he introduced me to one of his friends who's Korean and runs a um, at the time, a Korean restaurant. He just reopened his place Mm. a little bit closer to my friends. That's a smaller establishment, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it was just one of those things. I don't think. Could have happened unless I was on vacation. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, um, but keeping in contact. Yeah. Like keeping in contact and having this stuff. It's just, um, it's been wonderful. That's it's cool. been wonderful. So, you, so you've got some Japanese chops, I'm guessing. No, no, no doc. I'm, I'm <laughs> still working through my, um, you know, I have like my hiragana katakana or, you know, like, and I'm like kind of going through kanji, but I am wolf. That's one thing, uh, you know, you're saying about moving over um, that I do have to improve upon. Mm. Um, Not really. But I, we, we, we sat there uh, with Google Translate, Doc, oh, um, okay. you know, go, kind of going back and forth, talking about different things and found out he was a big NASCAR fan, yeah. um, you know, and he has a standing offer. He knows to come out and you know, I'll take him to a, a race and stuff yeah, like that. But cool. just you know, like life happens for a reason. And mm. I, you know, as I, and I apologize for those of you who listened that came to talk, Doc, but, you know, it's just fun. It's like it's it's fun kind of sharing out about each other. and. Uh, I got to say, Doc, um, every time I go, I fall in love with something mm-hmm. uh, there that's that's different than the last time I had. Yeah. What is like some of the things that still excite you the most about being in Japan? Uh, I think opportunity uh, in general. Um, I think um, when you come here as a as a transplant, um, there are many things that you bring with you, particularly as an older transplant, that are unique to your background. And they have certain ways of doing business here in Japan, certain ways of thinking. And um, these these uh, norms are not uh, as cemented as people like to suggest. Um, but what they are, I feel, is different. And if you um, are seen as a person who um loves japan and not even loves is maybe the wrong word if you're seen as a person who um wants to be in japan and believes in japan then your opinions are uh are are welcomed i feel and um speaking from my own personal experience at least and so if you have um a different way of looking at things and um want to do things uh that are unique and new it's uh, the door is kind of open i don't really find it as closed as some people would like to suggest and perhaps that's because of of my own individual personality and openness myself to new ideas and ways of doing things perhaps it has something to do with my age and having a lot of experience 
I think traditionally, a lot of people come to Japan just out of college. They don't have the sort of experience that I have life-wise or career-wise. And so they end up feeling trapped in this kind of, you know, unfortunately shit world of teaching in Eikaiwa um, where nobody wants to listen to you and learn English and the pay is horrible and there's zero upward momentum and people get bitter. Um, it's almost better to come later or to come and spend some time here and then return back to America and get experience or wherever this person might be from and then come back again. I think you have more to contribute as a human, as a professional, and then you'll see it maybe perhaps as I do as opportunity. And uh, that's my most exciting uh, thing to think about when I think about Japan. There's so much I can do here. I remember when I was years ago, when I was just uh, starting out, and uh, maybe it was a bit, I probably was here a year, I think. And um, I was just teaching in an Ekaiwa. Uh, it's just a small classroom environment teaching kids, you know. And I was working for a gentleman who I owe my entire stay to, um, I mean, he gave me a job here when I was like literally down to my last few weeks on a, on a visa. And, uh, I'm here because of, of, uh, of Dan Crone. And I'm very, very thankful for him to have popped into my life. But, uh, at the time he was maybe thinking about transitioning away from teaching himself and maybe, um, uh, allowing me to take over the school or whatever. And he would possibly return back to America. And, uh, I remember standing, I was in the hospital at the time uh, for just a routine kind of uh, exam. And the hospital was up on a mountain. And I remember standing in front of the window and just kind of was walking around at one point in time and looking out over Kobe and thinking like, there are so many places here that I can teach English. There are so many companies that I can get into and say, hey, I can help you. Um, that is not as easy as it sounds and not as easy as it appeared in my head at the time. because getting if you don't have Japanese, getting through to somebody to say, hey, I can help you <clears throat> is next to near impossible. So you can move to Japan with zero Japanese as I did. Um, and you can live here for decades, as many people do with zero Japanese. But if you want to really make inroads into the Japanese business community, you got to have some Japanese or you have to have a, a, a partner who wants to help you make that possible. Uh, a wife or a business partner or a husband or whatever your uh, uh, your situation may be. Um, but there's so much damn opportunity here. I usually equate it to the idea of immigrants in America, right? Like immigrants to America don't come and say, oh, shit, I wish I could get a job here. They're like, fuck that. I'm going to talk to all my friends that I can find. We're going to pull our resources together and I'm going to make something for myself in this country. It's not unique yes. to America. It's unique to uh, people who want to do something for themselves. And you have to figure out a way to do it. And um, But for some reason in Japan, there can be a tendency to think that, oh, I'm stuck and I can't do these things. You can do these things if you put your mind to it. It's hard as a mother. Um, but uh, just like immigrants the world over, if you want it bad enough, you can figure it out. And I'm sure as hell not swimming up a golden fucking stream at this point in time, but uh, you can figure out how to get some momentum going over time. By the way, can you tell I'm from New Jersey? I think I'm swearing a lot more as. 
you know, it's, it's, it's funny sometimes too. Like you get back, you know, talking to someone from Chicago, you know, using your, you know, using English, you know, <laughs> like instead of the Japanese you might be for today's. And mm. I, it's, it's, you're perfectly fine, doc. I, I had a friend on, um, that's <laughs> another podcast friend. He's, um, deep in uh, Japan's the name of the podcast and he is deep in Japan himself uh, but it was fun like you know we were talking back and forth as we were uh, you know kind of, I was kind of interviewing and and it was the same thing he's just like you know man I you know he's like I'm talking English and I have all this different stuff and all these things are coming out and I'm like don't worry about it don't worry yeah. about it I'm having fun talking with you doc and I, I see um, you know I see uh, us probably getting together here again uh, to talk so I'm gonna move a little bit down like our questions and things like yeah, that yeah, because yeah. Mm-hmm. um uh i i'm having a grand time but i i do totally see especially uh be it the movie uh that we're talking about or uh. um other books things like that i'd love to for sure um have you back on here but what um before we kind of move on to like your website services and some things um here there is one more thing uh that i wanted to ask is just what are your hobbies, my friend, uh, mm. that you have outside of uh, Maple Lopo? Um, just, you know, making the movie like, you know, working on the movie. Is the movie your hobby? Is it all these different businesses that are your hobby? Like, what do you like to do, Doc, if you get to escape for a little bit? Yeah, Working is my hobby. Um, <laughs> um yeah, so uh, I should say, by the way, the name of the movie. So the name of the movie is uh, From Chicago, From Chicago to Osaka. And um, it's very much in the beginning stages of things. I um, optioned the script, signed a deal with the screenwriter less than a month ago, Chicago screenwriter named uh, Michael William Foster, who's brilliant. And the script is funny and um so well done it's a bilingual script we have japanese and english in the movie super awesome so um yeah it's one of the uh extra things that i do i've always wanted to produce a uh, film i i was a story analyst for a couple years for a distribution company in hollywood and um i've taken a lot of screenwriting classes and comedy writing classes at the onion with the founder or or rather at second city with the founder and the editor of the onion. Um, so I love to write, obviously I'm a writer. Uh, what do I do in addition to translating is what you ask me. Um, all of these things I do for fun. I basically, I'm probably one of those people who doesn't like to sit around too much, even though I do love to sleep. Uh, <laughs> uh so when I do get a chance to rest, I certainly take advantage of it. Um, but aside from translating with my wife and doing this Maple Lopo schoolhouse, teaching people Japanese, I, um, when I do have time, I play music or listen to music or just read. I went to school for music, uh, I think I mentioned, um, and I'm a drummer by trade, even though I don't have a drum set in my house, but we do have guitars. So occasionally when we're like, hey, man, we haven't, because my wife plays too, um, we haven't played guitar in a while. Maybe we should bring those out and dust them off. Um, we do that. Uh, we run every weekend. So we run for fun. My wife, uh, this is another reason why I lost so much weight. So my wife is an insane runner. She's been running for I don't know, 15 years or so now. And uh, she runs like 30K every weekend. And she dragged my ass. Was well, basically, so 30K every weekend is like, I don't get to see my wife for about four hours on a Sunday morning or whatever. So I started to think, well, this sucks. I mean, I love making a big buffet spread for her when she gets back, but I should probably engage my fat ass and get out there with her and move a little bit. So 
slowly I went out and started running with her. And, um, now I do, I can do 20 K. Uh, and we ran last year. We ran, was it last year? Last year or the year before, I think we took a train to Osaka and then ran, uh, to Kyoto. So we ran from Osaka all the way up to Kyoto. It was like 55 K, so a little over a marathon distance. We took the whole day to do it, but that would have been impossible before I met my wife and impossible before I switched to mainly eating vegetables and fish. But um, that's a big thing that we do for fun, too. That's kind of that stuff. I like it. I like it, Doc. And I said, if you don't mind me asking, like, how did you end up meeting uh, your wife? Because, I mean, she kind of ties into our, you know, your services and things like that as well. So my wife is my life, right? Uh, My life would not be uh, anything without her in so many regards uh that would be that's an entire that's the psychological podcast you want to start that one you can have that one later we're talking about that impact on my life uh she's incredible and a partner to me in so many ways um i met her at a what they call an english salon so when i came to japan i took this course this uh celta course that i was talking about a cambridge course that teaches you how to teach English. One of my classmates was a government um, official here in Kobe at a place called uh, Kyogo International Association. And she asked me uh, to come and teach at this salon. Basically, they invite people from the public to come and hang out and learn something interesting uh, and have that thing that they're learning be taught in English. So mostly it's older people and maybe a couple younger people with some time off from work. And I went there um, with another former classmate of mine in that Celtic class. And we taught for, I don't know, two hours or so. I met my wife. And um, but I met her, I actually met her for the first time, maybe a month or so prior. And uh, I was introduced to her and she came up to me with her, uh, or she rather handed me her, her business card. And she just said, and uh, I was like, uh, yeah, I'm done. Like, I love that girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I totally fell in love awesome. on the spot. I mean, I was just done. And then like from that moment on, I was like, okay, how do I learn more about this girl? And how do I get to know her? And, and uh, I'm kind of a low and low barbecue approach kind of guy <laughs> but i ingratiate myself with people and um she uh thankfully reciprocated and um we got married and now we uh we live together and it's, it's great i love being married i never thought i would be married in my life i uh, i never wanted to have kids i never thought that i would ever be married and uh once i met her I wanted to do both of those things. <laughs> it was really wild. It's what everybody says. I think and you finally find the right person. I, I've been with people obviously before and had two very long-term relationships, but uh, they weren't the same. And uh, my life has not been the same and will never be the same again. And I'm happy for it. <clears throat> so thanks for asking about my wife. I'm always happy to brag about her. <laughs> well, Doc, you're giving me hope too. So <laughs> I... <laughs> Yeah. I, I appreciate it, my yeah. friend. Sometimes you have <laughs> to be fifty it. before you find the right person. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I feel like um, I don't know about it, Doc. But I like my own personal feeling about the thing is you have to be okay by yourself first. Yes, you're right. 
and mm-hmm. um, I am, mm-hmm. and I am fo- fortunate. I feel to be a dad, mm-hmm. and I have two wonderful relationships uh, with my son and with my daughter. And I must have done something right mm-hmm. because I have a soon to be 21 year old that talks to his dad every day, even if, even if it's through text mm-hmm. because he's worked so much. Um, we have a um, concert coming up in November. We have a baseball game that, that we're going to go to just him and I in October, um, you know, in October for his birthday. Um, and then I have my daughter who's a freshman in high school and still wants to sit down and, you know, watch a show or hang out with dad or mm. go out with them. And, I, I wouldn't trade those two things for anything in the world. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's a gift. but I feel like the, you know, it's like, but then I feel like the, the other person that's on the probably other side of the world, uh, <laughs> is kind of like going through some similar things. And I do feel like we are, uh, fated to meet at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And I think everything that leads up to that, I, I, I can almost hear it in your voice too, doc. Like, you appreciate that person then when you find them in, in the case, your wife, like I'm sure you appreciate her so much more because of all of those experiences uh-huh. that kind of led up Absolutely. to that point. Yeah. You, you, I really would do anything for her. And, uh, and it is because of that. Yeah. You know, that, um, you, you recognize the stark difference between now and then. Right. And, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's life changing and it's life affirming and, uh, it's wonderful. I mean, you have this wonderful blessing of having, children uh as uh, thinking of you as you just described and that is a tremendous gift and uh and you you know i i was alluding earlier to this idea of let's talk about maybe you could get over here earlier but uh you uh, unless you brought them with you you would be leaving behind a large part of your soul and uh i would not want to encourage you to do that obviously um i was able to do it because i didn't have those sorts of beautiful bonds that you have with your children. Um, keep that up. Yeah. Being able to sit down with your kids is a cool thing. <laughs> Especially no, as a dad. I, I love, right? It is. It is. And it's like, it's the same thing I have with my dad. You know, we went to a, we, we've been taking off uh baseball park, uh, baseball stadiums, you uh-huh. know, ballparks, things like uh-huh, that. Cool. Um, and we just did Cleveland this last and we have a book next summer already for like a St. Louis and, um, Kansas city, uh, type trip. So mm. we're, we're going to make it through. We're going to make it through. But, um, I, I just, uh, like I said, love talking about everything, but I think it's probably about time we begin to share some of, about like the, like your maple lopo and like, you know, that your maple lopo schoolhouses and things that you have to offer. Otherwise I feel like another hour is going to go by and we're just going to sit here having fun together, which is nothing wrong, yeah. you know, nothing wrong with it. But, but I do want you to promote what you're doing oh, because sure. I do I feel like what you're offering mm-hmm. is really unique because there are a ton of services like to learn Japanese um, that are like your entry base, yeah. you know, your hiragana, your katakana, your, you know, just the, those base things helping you learn some kanji. But what you do and offer is, you know, beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I really, you know, hope that I have some of my listeners, like I said, that are, either um, from Australia or in Japan themselves that might be doing their, their studies of Japanese or, um, you know, from the United States, you know, right now, uh, if you're listening uh, and you're going through this and you're a bit, you know, more advanced in your studies, this is for you. So pause, you know, make sure 
notes are going to be at the end of the podcast, but uh, Doc, I'd love for you to share a little bit about um, what you um, offer. Yeah, sure. No sweat. So, um, yes, you're right that there is a um, there's a wealth of material for the uh, the early learner, the person who says, wow, like Japanese in, in, in to differentiate from the early learner. There's also the appeal to the person who says, wow, like Japanese would be a cool language to learn and then they just get started and they download an app and maybe they fuck around with katakana for a little bit and then they never pick it up again. So there are, there are apps for that. There's, you know, Duolingo that can engage you and have you playing games and things of that nature, but they're limited in scope. And um, there is always marketplace for appealing to a buyer who buys and never does anything with the thing. Um, that's, not the approach that we chosen to take and it's not the market that we go after in part because of that so we want people to really uh enjoy japanese and enjoy the story that we happen to be teaching in whatever season we're creating so so we decided to focus on a a different kind of student um and the reason for that is because my wife's original idea was she thought, you know, maybe we could take these uh, these short stories that we're translating. Initially, we thought we would teach people um, using the. Uh, sorry, we thought that because we translate from Japanese into English, we thought, well, maybe we could teach Japanese people who are familiar with these short stories English within the context of the translated story. And then we were eating and drinking here one night at home. And my, my wife said, you know, maybe what, maybe what we should do is teach Japanese instead. I mean, maybe that would be cooler. And I was like, wow, oh, that's a cool idea. Or I, said, I don't speak hardly any Japanese. So um, how are we going to necessarily do that? <laughs> um, so then we landed upon this idea of, of teaching Japanese in English, because a lot of programs love the idea of teaching a foreign language in an immersive style and that's great if you're like a super student and you have a background and you have a great ability to focus and study and everything else but in the normal scheme of life i think there is an advantage to being taught a foreign language leveraging things that you already know um, leveraging ideas and words and uh, examples that you already know. So um, that's what we went for. But but she really wanted to just have people enjoy the story. So she was thinking like, you know, we're going to teach people Japanese, but really what we're teaching them is the story. And we want them to kind of enjoy this story by uh, Dazai that we're, we decided to translate. And uh, And that was the angle. And then we realized as we were producing this thing, like, you know, this is really not for beginners at all. So who is it for? Well, it's probably for intermediate uh, learners. And um, what's an intermediate learner look like? Well, it turns out they're probably somebody who, um, if you're a, a Japanese learner and you're thinking about the JLPT, um, most of the people in our course have already taken uh, the JLPT3 or feel as though they could pass that level. No problem. We have many students in our course who have never taken a JLPT, who have never had a Japanese course in their lives, and who are competing, if you will, or progressing, I should say, at the same level as students who are literally translators, 
who are have uh, engaged in Japanese courses in college and high school. So the thing that we've realized in creating this course is, uh, you know, internal, you recognize, you know, extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, right, Michael? I mean, if yes. these people, if you're a student of Japanese and you want to learn more Japanese, you will do very well in our course. If you just want to kind of uh, think about being a Japanese learner and not put in a lot of hard work, because this ultimately is about a two college semester long course, eight months probably, then you won't fare too well and you will have wasted your money. But if you want to get a lot out of it, you will get a lot out of it. And the reason is because we've tailored it to that student. We've wrapped the store, uh, we've wrapped the teaching into the context or around rather the context of the story. So you're contained in an immersive environment, which is the story, not necessarily the language. And you can build upon the knowledge of the story as you move forward. We have Anki decks that we've created, custom Anki decks for the story. We built everything from scratch. The story is five sections. Uh, the first section is uh, already completed. The Anki deck uh, has something like 800 cards in it. Um, section two is an equal number of cards. The cards have audio done by myself and my wife, so native pronunciation. It's all free, comes with the program. Not free, but it's part of the program. Airtable, where you can drill, boom, 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 listen to things. Every, all that's downloadable for people. We have mind maps for people if you're that kind of a visual learner. We've targeted this thing. I have a, you know, so when I was in, um, the, the story is not necessarily worth telling, except to say that uh, I have a background in education too, and I have half of master's in higher ed. And my wife is a linguist. I'm a writer. We're translators. So we're leveraging all of this, these decades of experience, passion for story. I was a screenwriter. I was screen, all of this shit thrown in there. Ends up creating a different kind of course that's not available anywhere else. And um, it's, I mean, it's ridiculously cheap. <laughs> it's $350 for now uh, to be a student in the course. I mean, $300, $350, Michael, for two college semesters. Where could you find that? Anywhere. You're, you're not going to. And, and, and I can say, like, even if you just look at those um, introductory courses, Doc, that we're talking about that are available elsewhere, you know, everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've seen some that are your $350 and it's basically getting you through, you know, your, your hiragana, your katakana, and then like uh, the basics of some of those things that are here. Yeah. So having something as focused as this, that's uh, like you said, I, I mean, I, I was one of those things after like seeing that I was going to interview you kind of looked around and I'm like, it's just not there. Yeah. So it, that's, it's definitely something um, that I, I feel has a ton of value for it. And, just upfront, everyone that's listening right mm. now, Doc is not paying me. You know, I'm not hey. receiving any sort of like, you know, income from this. Like, you know, this is all done um, by me to help promote uh, different things that I find interesting in Japan. Yeah, sure. And my 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 tagline, Doc, is that the a lot of the people like um, there's different like bicycle tours. I'm hoping that uh, I have an artist that's in uh, Tokyo that I'm going to be interviewing coming up. And then Ooh. I'm trying to work on a brewery uh interview as well but it's all places that when my son and i visit next summer i want to still see oh, there yeah. and like i said my long-term goal doc is to move there and the more friends you can have when you move somewhere um the better off you're going to be mm -hmm. so please like w when you hear me um talk about what 
uh, Doc is offering know that this comes uh, from a very sincere place. <laughs> uh, but there there is a ton of value that's in that. And I'd l- love for you just to continue Thank sharing you. about yeah, that. You're not a student. <laughs> no, no, have you no asked I'm not. About becoming a student. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. It's uh, it's a wonderful thing. She and I both learn a lot about our own languages. We're totally word geeks. And uh, it's a tremendous uh, pleasure to create it for people. We also have a, um, a Discord server where we're in there every day. If somebody needs us, we uh, engage with the community. Uh, you know, we're, it's like having access to a teacher without having to pay, you know, 50 bucks each time to sit down with uh, someone for an hour. I mean, we're not doing one-on-one instruction, but, um, you know, in the end, we're going to have uh, well over 100 videos. We're thinking about uh, probably 120 or 150, probably, grammar spotlight videos. We have, um, in our first section, about 300 or more um, listening, audio listening practice sentences practice test there's so much in there it's kind of crazy to think that we've actually done this all by ourselves in a way the technology and everything and um one thing we've realized lately is uh as we try and think about our market is um because it's it's uh sometimes the the offer falls on deaf ears it's fine it feels to us um people will uh you know we have um uh, different ways of kind of seeing how people interact with our website and things of that nature. And we get, you know, scrollers and people who don't really, we can use screen recording software and see how people interact with things. Um, we have advertising campaigns, people click and don't really do anything. And, and so we're trying to fine tune things and, and find the audience has been and can be challenging. We think that in a way that uh, part of our market is in an education market. And I've done research or outreach rather with um, uh, department chairs at the collegiate at the college level and um, some deans and people like that. And what we find is that um, the colleges offer uh, where they have Japanese as a language major or minor or Japanese literature within the same uh, construct, people will want to learn more Japanese than the college has the opportunity to offer. So maybe they only offer three years uh, or four years and the students want to learn more. And so department chairs are telling us, well, I'll mention this to my students because your things look really good and they could be really useful. So we think maybe there's an opportunity to license the program to universities um, or even tie in with researchers who are exploring um, asynchronous learning, because that's what we do. Right. You learn on your own. It's all asynchronous. I mean, when I went to community college for a semester or two. 25 years ago, I was sitting in front of a teeny tiny uh, black and white television with a VHS deck learning, learning, ironically, about computers. And um, that was asynchronous learning, you know, 25, 30 years ago. It's different now and it's much more robust. And that's what we're delivering. And what we're going to transition to do. So if anybody's listening now and considering being a student, I would encourage you to and you have. $350 burning a hole in your pocket, or you have the ability to take advantage of our monthly plan, uh, which is uh, $35 a month, I think. Um, I would encourage you to sign up before the end of the year, because by the end of the year, we're going to change the price point on this, and it's going to be more competitive with uh, what a college program might be like, or individual tutoring might be like. So we're probably looking at a $1,000 price point or $1,200 price point. 
You can take a course like this for 12 weeks, Michael, and pay $6,000 for it and have no interaction with the teacher at all (laughs) and have none of these additional supplementary Anki deck sort of things. A lot of courses for intermediate learners are built around a textbook, a Genki textbook or the, the intermediate textbook from the Japan Times who makes the Genki textbook. And that's it. It's the Genki textbook. And you can learn that shit on your own. Uh, yes, yes. And so why pay five, six thousand dollars for that? Or why pay a tutor uh fifty dollars an hour to walk you through a textbook when if you have the motivation to learn on your own, that's the student that we're targeting, then uh you can do this for a lot less. But it's gonna go up, the price is gonna go up. And uh just because it's the only fair thing to do, and I think we will in a way uh better reach our target market. Um we're okay with it being exclusive. It's exclusive now. We're okay with it being more so as we move on, particularly as we start to make better inroads into the uh, academic world, I think. So that's kind of where we're at at the Global Schoolhouse. I like it. And sometimes it's like you never know what that is going to be that finally um, opens up that door to be more. And I'm looking to um, move over salary lanes right now, Mm. Doc. Um, And and it's the same thing. I I saw even the inexpensive. 12 hours was going to run me um, like uh, I think it was like over $5,000. And really? that was, you know, inexpensive courses to help moving over. This so is for like uh, this educational is, yeah. up- upgrading, upskilling yourself. Yes. Really? So that, you know, when I finally, you know, end up on um, the other side of things, um, we have a set number of hours for each like salary lane. And I want to say it might be 18 hours or something like that. Um, but it's a set number of classes that move you that lane and then you can do it again and again. And it's, you know, you, I have four lanes uh, with which to move through so that when I, um, you know, what I have to offer is up to date and I'm doing the most for my kids. But then for myself mm. on the opposite end of things, when I retire, I have the most available for me as well. But yeah, those the prices and things like that to get that lane um, is definitely that more than five grand. Wow. So hearing you even with that uh, twelve you know hundred dollars, if this is you and driving you. And like you said, like part of what you were doing at one point was like just the translation, uh, you know, business and things like mm. that. Um, this is, this is a lot. And I, I, I'm very excited for you and what you have to offer both for your wife and, um, you know, you all, and I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, that's it. There's a, uh, click on the links that are in that, uh, the show notes and, uh, check it out for yourself. Yeah, please and, do. Yeah. If you're, I should say that if you're a translator or if you're wanting to, uh, upgrade your Japanese for professional reasons, uh, the p- people who are in our course tell us all the time that it has already helped them, uh, up their knowledge. Our course is not designed to help you pass the test. It's designed to help you uh, enjoy the material, understand the material, and better your own understanding of it so that you can apply it elsewhere. So one of our, um, one of our students is an Italian uh, translator. She translates um, material in English into Italian and material in Japanese into Italian. And she, already t- she told us, I think within two weeks or maybe three weeks of the program, that she had already acquired a new Japanese client because of this uh, knowledge that she'd acquired from our program. We have another uh, younger guy in there who translates all kinds of Japanese media and anime and manga and light novels. And he is our, our most fervent student and feedback uh, loop guy. And he's always telling us how much he's learning and appreciating things. 
uh, it's truly wonderful. And the other thing I will add, as someone who couldn't even pass the N5 to save his life at this point in time, um, one thing that's cool about this program is because we teach advanced level concepts in English, you can come into this program as a not so uh, as a not so advanced learner of Japanese and learn a lot. So I have the this cool ability uh, to immerse myself in Japanese because I live here, right? But if I put in yes. the time to do the Anki decks and to do all these tools that we created, I have no doubt at all that within this program, having completed this program, my like ability to speak and understand Japanese would just go through the roof because of how it's taught, how I'm using, we are using so much anecdotal uh, examples in the videos, how we reinforce it through uh, scaffolding and all of these good benchmarky kind of things that you learn as an educator. Um, no doubt. So if you, um, if you want to give it a shot, hell, give it a shot. If you don't, uh, that's fine with us too, but uh, it's there for the taking. <laughs> Excellent. <you>. Excellent, Doc. <laughs> No, no, no. And, and, and for someone that's looking to get in, um, is there because I know you said there's some people that have come in with um, a lot less of a backing uh, than yeah. others. What is there like a certain amount or something to where you're like, hey, if you're at this point or you have these things, mm. um, it's a nice starting point. Or do you really feel that this is um, more just up to the motivation of, you know, your learner that's coming into the program. Uh, uh, good question. So if you, you couldn't do the program without uh, at least a base in um, Hiragana and Katakana and um, a yes. fami familiarity with kanji, um, an ear toward the sound of the language. Um, we, some of our active students are not even uh, native English speakers. As I mentioned, this Italian gal, we have another gal who is from Mexico, um, who is all self-taught. Uh, we have a lot of people who, um, because we're teaching Dazai, people who love uh, this manga called Bungo Stray Dogs. And um, it, fo it focuses on these old writers. And so because uh, people love that storyline, they want to read the original material. And, but they don't have any language skills and they're, they're self-taught by, by the... Why, why, by, excuse me, by watching the anime and by reading the manga. And so they come to us with some experience, but not a lot, right? But you do know, you would need to know how to uh, navigate a dictionary, a Japanese dictionary. Um, you really, um, so if I think about myself, right? Like I can't read, uh, I can read Hiragana, no sweat. Uh, but the moment I see kanji, I'm stopped in my tracks. Um, but I can work my way through a dictionary and find it. Um, and because I have that ability, I could complete the course, right? Uh, everything else that is challenging will get easier as you go along. The Anki decks are so powerful. Do you use Anki? I, I do. And I, and I would agree with you because um, having that and there's there's so many like like you saying, Part of the hard work is just getting that set up and yeah. like having that done for you is huge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, finding some of the ones too, just having that ability to like, hey, I know it really well. I don't having it brought back to your attention later yeah. on, like all of that built in repetition, like does help for it to, 
you know, finally stick. And it, that is a huge um, uh, tool that you have for everything. Yeah, there. Wani Kani no. is, so if you're studying Japanese uh, kanji and I see you shaking your head, maybe you're familiar with Wani Kani listeners. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. great for learning kanji. The only thing about, so the cool thing about the way we're teaching is you, you, it's like learning English through watching a television show. So a lot of people, when you teach English, a lot of people say, oh, well, watch movies. Um, movies are great, but they're not as good as television. Because television reinforces cast, dialogue, tone of voice, all these sorts of things. And that's what our story does. So Wanikani is fantastic and I love it. And I've used it um, uh, since I've been, since before I came here. Um, but it's, it's kind of just a hodgepodge of vocabulary. But instead, within the story, because you're seeing our same kanji over and over again, you remember it, right? And you start to recognize the building blocks of kanji, which helps you learn. To put in a nutshell, like what kind of learner could kind of come into this program? It basically, I would say what my wife says is you need a, you need a, um, a basic understanding of, of uh, kanji and hiragana and katakana and access to a good dictionary. As long as you have that, then you can do it. That's awesome, Doc. Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, it sounds like a wonderful opportunity. And um, even you, um, like you have so much going on. And one, one of the things I was uh, enjoying when I was kind of doing some research about yourself is how many uh, books you've written, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, different writing projects. I saw you um, as a part of Gaijin Pot. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I saw that you had a lot of articles on getting jobs in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were so many different things uh, <laughs> that you had, like, you know, like, you know, going on. I mean, like you are you are a person that, uh, you know, does not like to, uh, you know, be still. Uh, so uh, do, do you have do you have any um, like project? I mean, the movie is going to be in and of itself uh, something that's there. But do you have anything that you're working on currently um, for, you know, writing purposes? Mm. Um, and, uh, not that I'm focused on at the point I have, um, I have a short story that I want to complete, uh, called 49 stars. Um, there's a little bit of that on our website. I think the opening volley of that story is there. And, um, I like that story and I think it can kind of be kind of a cool story. I have this other story that I mentioned about Vietnam that I've been sitting on for a long time that I really see as a film. I see it rather than I think about reading it. Um, but no, I have not. Um, the latest kind of thing I've thought about writing would be documenting the uh, the trip to make this film. So I thought it could be useful for promotional purposes as well as to inform people who are interested in making movies uh, how it's done. Or not how it's done, but uh, how I will be going about doing it and how I step and fall on my face over and over again between now and 2023, <laughs> uh, which is hopefully when we start start filming. Um, so that's probably the most immediate thing on my mind. Um, aside from that, this story that we're teaching, um, we are loosely translating now as we teach it. And then when the course is done, we will dive into that and really translate that so um that's actually another appealing thing to our translator students is because so they're gonna they see how we translate so they're getting a version of the story now through the course and then at the end they'll see our finished version 
because it's a bitch to put together and it's a lot of back and forth spending four hours on one sentence sort of thing that we don't do for the course. We get them kind of there in general. And um, so that would be the most immediate thing that we're going to be finishing, let's say. Yeah. yeah. And with all the different like uh, things that you're doing, uh, and, and I just want to say before I forget again, um, if you need two extras, uh, you know, of people that are from Chicago to be a part of oh. what you're doing, you know, f- free of charge. Uh, if we're out there, you can take my son and yeah. I. It's, <laughs> it's like a- so I'm glad you brought, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to mention that earlier and we got off onto another track. Um, so you're talking about touring baseball stadiums with your father. So one of our scenes takes place in the Hanshin uh, ballpark. So. <laughs> And so I would, I would love to be able to squeeze you into to the scene if we can. Uh, and I won't say too much more about it other than to say that it's a Hunching yeah. Tigers um, scene and it would be great to have you in there. So, yeah, please, let's do that. That's it's it's one of those things like it's, it's one of my that's my my favorite park. I I'm still have a bunch to go to there. Uh, my son wants to go to um, Hiroshima as well mm. um, to see some carp. He's. Him and I are the type of baseball fan where you can go to any game anywhere and we uh, have a blast doing so. So one of the things that he wants to do when we visit is to hit as many ballparks as we possibly can. And, um, you know, my my daughter, on the other hand, has already begun to start planning her time out. She's going to be more um, art based, uh, (laughs) Uh but um, it's going to be fun. You know, it's going to be fun finding what we can for both. But. You better believe it, my friend. I said, if you need me to help blow up balloons to let off for that stretch, you know, I'm there for you. So we'll definitely keep you in mind with the art focus. Your, your uh, interest uh, will play in quite nicely into the script, too, because it has a big art focus, actually. Well, um, Doc, uh, thank you for that uh, break call on your end. Um, <laughs> it was a perfect timing on my end. Yeah. Uh, that's been a long day, long day. Um, and I, you know, don't want to take up you know, too much, you know, of your day. I know that you said you have um, open and things that you have, uh, you know, open for our time. It's here. And I greatly appreciate that. But one thing that I like to ask uh, of people that are in Japan, and especially with you making that transition like you did uh, from States uh, to uh, Japan mm. itself, what are like some advice that you could give someone that's looking to possibly move to Japan, get some employment in Japan? I mean, we talked about reducing the things that you have, you know, they can hold you sure. back, but what else would you kind of give as a recommendation? Uh, as far as starting trying, uh, thinking about moving here for a career. Is that right? Yes. Um, yes. As you frame that question, are you thinking about someone of a particular age or, uh, no, Where, wherever you want to go with it, my friend, this is the, the, the teacher in me that mm-hmm. has, there's no wrong yeah, answers. Okay. Um, wherever you want to go, I'm going to give you a gold star at the end of it, Doc. (laughs) All right. So, (laughs) so one of the things that's cool about Japan, one of the things that made coming here possible for me is that, um, you can come to Japan if you have a college degree to teach English, uh, quite easily. And so I had for, uh, the large portion of my adult life wanted to live and work overseas. And the number one obstacle is a visa, right? So if you want to work in Europe, you have the whole issue of dealing with the EU and they have a um, requirement or at least have had, I'm guessing it's the same, to where they have to, you know, offer jobs first to EU citizens or at least do their best or EU residents um, do their best to make that uh, happen. The same rule applies in America, right? Like 
So if you come to America and you want to work on H-1B or some sort of work visa, they have to advertise it and they have to show, well, no real uh, person is suited for this job in the immediate vicinity of this company to take it. So we're going to hire this H-1B person. But in Japan, I, when I was here for the McCartney concert, I met this um, kid who was traveling uh, and had friends who lived here and worked as teachers. And I said, oh, really? Like, how did they, uh, how did they do that? And he said, oh, well, did, all you need is a college degree. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like, I have two college degrees. <laughs> they haven't done me much good except made me a little smarter, maybe. But maybe I can put them to use. <laughs> um, so I was like, wow, okay. And that opened my whole uh, opportunity window for coming to Japan. So if you're thinking about, I have to shift here. Hang on. If you're thinking about coming to Japan and you don't have, let's say, a lot of experience, um, you don't have a lot of age behind you, and you have zero language skills, you can come here with a college degree and you can teach English. And how do you find those jobs? Um, before you come, you should reach out to uh, do some research online. There are lots of people who talk about companies that are set up to um, teach English. There are big companies like Berlitz and lots and lots of smaller companies. You can go to gaijinpot.com. You mentioned gaijinpot. I write job column for them every month and search for jobs. We were starting to see actually a lot more um, remote work opportunities where you don't need to be a resident of Japan. And um, uh, now that things are opening up a little bit, you're going to start to see more um, recruiting of younger people again to come and teach English here in Japan. So these big companies recruit from America. They'll pay for you often to come to Japan and. Um, and work at one of their schools under a contract uh, for a year. And um, usually people come over here as what's called a, uh, an alt uh, assistant language teacher. So you'll kind of pair up with a Japanese teacher who's teaching English and you'll be there as a kind of a helper, if you will. It's a fairly easy job to get uh, from what I understand. It's not the most rewarding career in the world. Uh, it's not really a career. And I think in my experience, when I've found people who have, um, uh, not necessarily willingly made it their career. They have not led a full life here in Japan. So if you come to Japan and you teach for a while, um, have, a, have another uh, opportunity in the wings. Um, lately, uh, we've started to see a good deal of people starting to transition into coding um, if you're a language person, if you like the idea of teaching English, you probably have the chops to learn how to code. Uh, it's okay. a language and uh, you, it's just about learning structure and form. And uh, the money is a lot better. And um, you don't have to deal with kids who are screaming and crying and infecting you with coronavirus uh, three and four times in a row. And uh, I, if you can. I mean, you can learn just like our class, asynchronous learning, right? You can learn coding on your own for free online. Learn that stuff now before you come. You know, I was learning Japanese and I was learning how to teach before I came as a way to kind of land properly. Uh, but I also come with decades of marketing and sales experience. And so when I was initially hired to work at this Eikaiwa, the guy I mentioned earlier, um, appreciated that I was bringing that to the table because he was thinking about maybe getting rid of the school, right? So 
I wasn't just a fresh-faced kid out of college. I, I was a fresh-faced um, transplant to Japan, but I, I came with a, d- a lot of different experience. The higher you are uh, up in your in age, the more beneficial I would think that uh, having Japanese under your belt is, uh, but it's not necessary. So the other career that you could consider here in Japan is a recruiter. So recruiters okay. are highly paid and they're highly busy um, and they, for the most part, do not need a bevy of Japanese and sometimes they don't need any at all. Um, so you can break into that career with some sort of professional training that's even as low as a year or two of work. Um, I see many jobs on Gaijinpot and elsewhere for uh, assistance and research uh, assistance in recruiting firms. It's a great way to make like you can come to Japan and you can make 10 million yen as a recruiter, which is like 100,000 US dollars. You got to work your ass off to do that. But you can do that without Japanese um, or at least without a lot. Now, uh, you if you're considering such a move, uh, dear listener, and you're online and you're reading about uh, this recruiter and that recruiter says that you need to have Japanese, you need to have passed JLPT2 and the JLPT1. Mm, that's not true. Um, maybe for that person and the, for that firm, you need to have that. But there are many opportunities where you don't need that at all, especially if you come in and are willing to come in as a, a research assistant, something like that. Some of us write, like I write. Um, some of us translate. So you mentioned the... Um, uh, Japanese uh, or the Hiroshima Peace Museum. I actually uh, write for them. I do editing, I should say, um, for the newspaper that publishes their articles. So people write and edit here in Japan. Money is not great. Um, the smarter thing to do is to establish a base here in Japan. For most people, this is what this is what I would do. This is what I do, <laughs> and and this is what I would do is if you have hustle in you. And not afraid to pick up the phone and create your own business. And you want to do, you want to live in Japan. Come to Japan and find a teaching job that allows you to set up a life here. And then leverage your talent and your hustle to get work that you are good at in America or in whatever country you're originally from. So, you know, these days, thanks to the pandemic, if if we can thank it for anything, so many more people are open to doing what we're doing, right? Having a conversation without being in place with one another. They're so much more open to remote work. Um, if you can write, you can sell. If you have the ability to do research, marketing, any sort of thing like that, graphic design, all of that can be done remotely. And if you can pick up the phone, and email people, companies in your home country and say, hey, I can do this work for you. And I could probably do it a little less or with a little less cost because the cost of living in Japan is cheaper. And I can turn things around faster for you because we're a day ahead of you. You can make a life for yourself so you can collect money in U.S. dollars, spend them in Japan. That's how you do it. That's that's a huge uh, gain, especially with the, uh, you know, value yeah, now right now uh, of by, the yen yeah. and the dollar. <laughs> yeah, my, my domain hosting is like, I'm look, looking at my statement like, what the hell is this do- weird dollar amount? That's not what I usually pay. <laughs> oh, shit. The, the yen is taking a, taking a something I won't say. And uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I've been buying it, you know, like uh, on my side of things, like just taking money out and just uh, go ahead and getting it because I feel at some point in time, it's going to kind of correct itself. And I'd rather have my yen, yeah, my yen bucks Mm -hmm. to, you know, go and travel with now and hopefully, you know, come out a little bit more ahead. But it used to be one to one. (laughs) I used to think of it as one to one. And then I just, I realized that this is really like one to a half is what I need to think about as late. Not doing so well. (laughs) No, 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 no. And I, I, um, you know, appreciate and I know those listeners do too. just any suggestions and things that they have, especially when it's coming from someone that has taken the jump uh, that you have Thanks. and not just be, uh, you know, in the, the words of McCartney, a band on the run. Um, <laughs> do do you have uh, any favorite books uh, that you've read uh, podcast that you might listen to? Um, I, you know, I don't know how much you do uh, as far as like YouTube goes mm. or things like that, but do you have anything that you, um, enjoy kind of listening to or taking in, um, either on Japan, Japanese, or just really any other, uh, topics that you might want to share, mm. uh, with listeners? Um, these days, not so much. Um, uh, I used to listen to a ton of podcasts, um, if you're thinking like, so my, the, the number one podcast I always, uh, recommend just because it's enjoyable and you learn a lot about life and, um, and opportunity and covering from a loss of opportunity is Mark Marin's podcast, WTF. What the fuck? Uh, Mark Marin, yeah. Mark Marin, uh, kind of laid a lot of groundwork for podcasts and he used to do it. I think he still does it in his garage. He's had Obama on his podcast. He's amazing. Um, so I used to listen to that religiously and, uh, it's a wonderful podcast. Uh, but beyond that, like business wise, I used to listen to a lot of these, uh, side hustle podcasts. They are jam packed with, uh, ideas like you would not believe. So if you're a little bit like me and you're kind of, uh, easily distracted by shiny objects, um, you can think like, wow, I can do that. And I can do that. And I, that just sounds like a good business. And so those can be a little bit dangerous. You have to like stop listening after a while. Um, but uh, if you're more focused than I am, or you don't have any ideas necessarily, um, they are tremendous. So uh, I can maybe think of a few I could send you links for, but um, Side Hustle, Side Hustle Nation, I think is one. There's another one, uh, Chris Gullibaloo, Gullibo, Gullo, he has his French sounding name. Here's another one. Those are two great podcasts about side hustles. Um, I I love listening to a screenwriting podcast called Script Note. Uh, that's cool if you're into screenwriting. Uh, YouTube I don't use. I don't um, I don't have the time to sit down necessarily and then listen to YouTube. It's a uh, it's just not one of my things. Uh, I have used Japanese Pod 101 for UTAP for on YouTube. It's tremendously helpful tremendously helpful for beginning learners if you want to learn about early japanese and structure it's very well organized uh yeah yeah that's about it uh, books um my wife uh, doesn't like that i don't read enough uh fiction books i i can kind of digest the non-fiction book no problem and I, i'm reading always reading two three books at a time these days i'm reading a lot of books on producing and how to uh how to be a producer, if you will, how uh, that end of the world works. I know a different side of it. So I'm reading that sort of stuff. Um, I mentioned recruiting. Uh, there's a gentleman who has written, I think now two books on how to become a recruiter in Japan. Uh, I would recommend them. 
they're good and they're affordable. Again, maybe I can get you some links. Um, there's another guy who wrote a book about doing business in Japan. He's with the Dale Carnegie Institute. That's another excellent book, especially if you're older and thinking about like business, business sort of stuff. Uh, web. I, I ahead, like buddy. it. No, no, I said I, I like that, and I, um, you know, just having like a bunch of uh, you know, interest of things here, and I, I see a common theme with you, Doc, where it's like uh, your prep work before you get into oh, something, yeah. you yeah. know, uh, you know, you're paying off, and that's I, I think that's uh, you know, some advice for anything for anybody, and um, nice that you didn't let that kind of trip you up though, uh, you know, from getting started or taking that leap, uh, to, to go to Japan in the no, first place. That's so, so important. Um, so no, no. Ever, ever since I was a kid, I have always, uh, been eager to, uh, volunteer to learn. So too many people, I think, think, oh, I have to get paid to, to do this. And that's just the wrong attitude. And I, maybe it's because I've always been interested in media and entertainment and by, by nature, those sorts of gigs don't really pay entry level people. So if you want those gigs, you got to hustle your ass off and you got to say, I'll do that for free. And so I mentioned this story analyst job that I had. I was a, I worked for a distribution company and, um, I was, uh, so it was a year before I came here and then two years while I was here, I think, or maybe the other way around, but I was an intern. So I was 45 or 46 years old. And I saw a job posting for an intern for this distribution company reading scripts. And I had read scripts talking about groundwork. I wanted to work in film. I'd taken classes in screenwriting. And I said, okay, what's the next step? How do I get to know people in the film industry who might read my script or who might hire me to write scripts or something like that? So I, um, I leveraged the screenwriting class experience to volunteer for film festivals as a script reader. So I said, oh, okay, uh, I'll read scripts for you for free. And I would do it at night and, uh, and on breaks and stuff during film festival season. And then I was able to leverage that experience into this internship opportunity as a 45, 46 year old. And, um, for three years for zero pay, write script, uh, analysis, um, on Hollywood screenplays, you know, and uh, so my notes would go to my boss and they would um, evaluate them and get together in a meeting and uh, partially decide as to whether it would be a film that they might want to invest in. Right. I'm just some muckety muck in Chicago, like barely staying awake and trying to read and write about the script, but I learned how to do it. And then now I can now reach out to that person who is my boss, who is younger than me and say, Hey, I got lucky and I've optioned this script. And can you, Tell me what I need to know about maybe dealing with pre-sales and things like that, because that was his world. So I did not know where I would be now, uh, six, seven years ago when I started taking classes in screenwriting, eight years ago, whatever it was, but I volunteered my ass off. And if you are willing to volunteer, you will learn so much and uh, cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, read what you can study what you can talk to people you're doing this by the way i obviously you know that um but you're doing this as well so when you finally come here 25 years from now and you're coming with a walker uh you'll, yes. you'll be able to help people <laughs> like i'll be able to say hey michael i know people who run a nursing home and they can put you in this place <laughs> <laughs> no 
doubt about it, Doc. No doubt. You know, you're going to have the nicest things, you know, possible picked out for <laughs> me at that point. Quite, I literally know people who run nursing home here. And I, I know people who run uh, nursing care facilities. And you said you worked in the daycare. So you're right there as well, baby. <laughs> you're good to go. You, you better believe it. The whole cycle. I can still change a diaper, Doc. I can still change a diaper. Change your own diaper, though. That's the thing. Is really quick. <laughs> That's a skill. That's a skill. Get us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. uh, but no, 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 I like it, Doc. And I, I, I want to, uh, like I said, thank you again yes. uh, for coming on. And is there anything else um, that you'd like to share that we've not covered to this point? <laughs> yeah. So, so let me talk just briefly about this idea of um, you mentioned the 6% ding on your salary. And because it plays into my um, my transition here. So first, let me ask you. So you mentioned six percent ding on your uh, annual pension. Does that mean like uh, as you would be receiving a pension in the future, you're going to get six percent less or for the next 10 or 13 years of needing to work, you're going to get less. Tell me how that how that works. Sure. For um, us and like for at least uh, where I'm at uh, in Illinois. Basically, if you don't put in your 35 years and it's more now, unfortunately, for other teachers, I think you have to work to your 67 doc to mm-hmm. get like uh, the the retirement that I can get uh, potentially when I'm like 57, 56, you know, 58. Wow. OK, um, but every year that you go early of that 35, you are basically the last three years of your teaching. They take that percent of it that you get and then whatever year that you're off early of that so like if you went in 30 years uh, as opposed to 35 mm-hmm. every year that's there you lose six percent of that total income that you're going to get paid so like if you're you know that's six percent one year less if it's two years it's another six percent oh. if it's three years it's another six mm. percent and so that's where those things begin to um yes like tack on to what you have and Cause I was like you at one point where I, within this last year had really got to a point where I was like, you know what, is this something I can just go yeah. do? You, you know what I mean? Like just, just really look to go. But what is, you know, you talk about not letting things hold you back, but the thing that's kind of holding me back at this point in time is a, you know, um, I want to be there for my kids through college. Mm-hmm. Number one, um, you, you know, if they didn't just come with me and go over, but losing that like built in um, retirement that I've been paid into is another thing that mm. kind of, um, you know, you know, works against that. So I know I'd have to supplement it somehow or, you know, find something on the other side to get through. Um, but I, I'd be uh, interested for, you know, anything that you have to offer, at least in that. Yeah, regard. I have no money to offer you, sadly, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't win the lotto, Doc. There was like a $700 million lotto that was like a few weeks ago here. And um, we would have been having a different interview, Doc, because I would have been in person, um, you know, talking to you at this point in time, as opposed to, uh, you know, by our Riverside uh, Mm. chat right now. And I would have been asking you if you wanted to invest in my movie. I, and I would have, my friend. There's, there's no doubt about that. Come on, you have, uh, you know, like you said, working baseball into it. I'm already yeah, right? sold. It's just like it doesn't. I don't even need to hear the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, is there, if there are any investors out there, please reach out in that regard. I'm happy to talk to you about that. Um, yeah. So that's a real hell of a smack for sure. Um, um, so this is what I, uh, this, this is what I was going to mention. So when I, um, 
when I was thinking about how to live here in Japan without a tremendous amount of, I, I, I've never been fortunate enough to, uh, to have uh, jobs that paid me a lot of money. Um, and I've, I've somewhat hopped around between interests <clears throat> because that's, um, how I am. I kind of, uh, I tend to be like, oh, I kind of know all I, I'm a learner. So once I've kind of tapped out on learning, I'm like, I really don't want to do this anymore because I know how to do it. And if I can't, um, navigate up or upward in a company uh to train people and manage people which i'm very good at um then i'm like okay i'm kind of done with this and i move on and so that's hurt me uh with, because i've not had the stability that other family members have had or other people my age have had for sure not had that stability um and so when i ended up working at revenue well and making a, a very decent income for these uh folks um the one thing they also did for us was they allowed us to contribute to a 401k plan right from day one. Um, and I had worked at the university of Minnesota some years earlier and they made us wait like three years or some shit like that. So I never even got a chance to participate. It's like a total, like fuck me kind of thing. Like, Oh, Hey, come work for us and check out our cool business or our good uh, benefits our packages. But by the way, you, you can't take advantage of them ever because you have to fucking live here forever and stay here forever. So ridiculous. So, but Revenue Well took care of us and they set us up on this, this package plan. And so I was able to stock away like, um, like 10 grand, I think, uh, $10,000, I think in, um, 401k because I worked there for five years and I was paid, um, I was paid well for the work that I did. I was one of like the first 10 people there. Now they have like over a hundred people working there. It's a big company now. Um, but anyway, uh, so I was thinking, okay, I want to go to Japan, but I really don't have any money. Uh, how am I going to do this? I'm going to need a cushion. So I thought, well, maybe I could take out the, um, 401k. I could take money out of the 401k and use that. Uh, but of course, everything you will ever read about withdrawing from your 401k. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. They tell you yeah. that's the dumbest thing you could do ever. Right. Don't do that because you're going to pay a penalty. You're going to pay a 10% penalty or whatever it is. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. If I told my father, he would be like, my father worked in insurance his whole life. He would be like, are you an idiot? Don't do that. But that's exactly what I did. And the reason I did that is because I rationalized, uh, you know, 100% accurate or not. I rationalized that the money that I had put away into the 401k was for one, my money. And I was given a tax break fairly equal to or not exactly equal to or almost exactly to equal to the amount I would be penalized. So I thought, well, shit. Uh, yeah, maybe I got a 10% break on my annual taxes to put money in. And I was going to get a 10% break or a 10% penalty for taking it out. I figured, you know, I'm not an accountant, but essentially a wash and it was my money yes so why not take it out and it was the only way that that was the obstacle to moving here like i have no savings right um and once i figured that out then i was like oh wow okay and i was able to live here and try and find work which i thought by the way was going to be the easiest thing to do you may have thinking <laughs> maybe thinking having listened to me talk about how easy it is to get a teaching job here in japan not true as an older person so it took me six yes. months to get a job here and uh and i came here with a twenty five hundred dollar qualification in teaching from the highest place you can get it to teach english and a background and all sorts of other things it didn't matter 
So there is a little bit of age discrimination there when it comes to teaching, which you will no doubt encounter if that's what you want to do here, especially if you don't have Japanese. Um, so I needed money. And so taking the hit, being okay with taking the penalty hit was made it possible. And so initially when you were talking about having to take a hit, I thought, oh, maybe um, it could apply to you, especially because living here in Japan is a lot cheaper. Yes. Uh, it kind of balances it out. I remember years ago, I was watching this thing on television where uh, an accountant was trying to help this couple figure out whether their uh, soon-to-be mother in this uh, couple should stay home or keep working. And the accountant ran all the numbers about like car and all that stuff and the expenses of still working, daycare. And he said, you'd actually make keep more money if you didn't work. Um, so smart number people can make you help you make smart decisions. I don't think based on what you just told me that that I would be smart to leave uh, earlier, uh, not as early as you could now, but you could talk with an accountant 10 years and say, like, what, what would I be looking at, you know, now or seven years or whatever? You might find yes. that it's worth more worthwhile to leap earlier than to wait an, an additional five years or something like that. Oh, no doubt about it. And um, this year, my school district had offered like to buy out basically two years. Mm. So they, they, the 6% penalties that you'd get, they're trying to get people oh, yeah. out so they can have less money that they're paying, you know, to mm. you, mm. <laughs> like two other people, you know, two people that are on the opposite end of that pay scale. So if something like that comes out and I can use my sick, you know, my sick years uh, and my sick days uh, to, to purchase something sure. as well, you better believe it. But yeah, I said, that's going to be uh, something about the time when my daughter um, is, you know, on that end of her life and looking to start some things herself, um, you better believe mm-hmm. it, Doc. I will uh, be yeah. being there. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm like, like uh, it's, you know, that's yeah, going to be I'll good. I'll be here. So. <laughs> <Let me> say <laughs> hello. <laughs> oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I, um, I, I do. I, I wish you nothing but the best. Um, I really appreciate everything that's here. And I'd love to have you back Thanks, on. Man. Um, as you get into like, uh, filming, talk more about what you're doing. Um, would love to do that again. I'd be Doc. more than happy to um, be a part of it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And and if you if you don't mind, uh, just one more time. Yeah. Um, like what are um your you know sites and and things? It's uh, your time to once again just kind of plug you and all that you're looking to do right now. Yeah, sure. So uh, main site uh, literature to uh, literature translation and all sorts of other original stories and things like that is at. Mapelopo.com, M-A-P-L-O-P-O.com. And um, if you want to check out Mapelopo Schoolhouse, which is our learning program for Japanese learners, you can go either to mapelopo.com forward slash schoolhouse or mapeloposchoolhouse.com redirect to the same place. Um, uh, for now, the, uh, the, uh, the film... Uh, thing has a domain name, but there's not a lot. There's nothing going on there yet. But uh, Michael and I are working on putting together a website that'll be at uh, from Osaka, from Chicago to Osaka.com. And um, the hell else? Gaijinpot. Just type in Doc Kane Gaijinpot. You'll find me there. What am I missing, Michael? Maple Opal Maple Opal Schoolhouse. Uh, yeah. You have that. You have your you know docking dot com oh, as yeah. well. You know, and you've got you had some uh, you know stuff that's like you said in in Lindican, Um I'm gonna put in a link LinkedIn. Sorry, <laughs> not li- LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Uh, you know, it's Sounds like, like a- uh, you know, you know, it's it's 
it's my own my own uh you know company it's <laughs> Sounds like a branch of Ikea uh, or something like that. that that's right. That's right. That, but it, the, the furniture, you know, doesn't fall <laughs> apart. Um, here we go. It's like, but yeah, like yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll put all of those um, descriptions in um, the show notes uh, that's here. And if you have anything else you want to add, feel free. Um, but definitely uh, look forward to it, my friend. And I, I do want to thank you again for joining us. My today. pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Keep doing good stuff. Keep eating good pizza, but not too much. Shout out to Rosati's. That was That's Rosati's. Right. And by the way, I think I came back during the break and I told you, but for those listening who are maybe puzzled, is it really Rosati's? Yes, it was Rosati's. They're amazing. They're kind of like Quattro's Pizza in Carbondale, <laughs> Illinois, which is the best pizza on the planet. Quattro's. I still know their number. Can I give well, the phone number for Quattro's? You like you better believe it. Better believe it. Let's dial, like, go for it. Dial five four nine five three two six. Quattro's deep pan pizza. Yay. Area code 618 if you're in Carbondale. I still know that. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> love it, Doc. I love it. Uh, uh, like it's been so much fun. And if I um if I can, I'll look, we'll look to maybe add a song of the show too. Uh, you know, on for what we have. But um on behalf of Lost Without Japan and our entire mm-hmm. crew, I'd like to thank you all for joining us today for this interview. And we look forward to seeing you on board again for our next regularly scheduled episode as we continue our discussion on Japan, travel, culture, and your next Lost Without moment. To everyone out there, Oginki Day. Stay well, my friends. When you're in the mood.